is back for 2018. The Football Sec Podcast for Russia. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Football Sacks podcast for Russia, and we are basking in the glow of an emphatic 4-0 victory for the Socceroos over the Czech Republic. I'm your host, Ben Smith. Joining me in the studio are the gaffer's first three choices off the sub-bench. To my right, a man who now has a tattoo of Raheem Sterling holding a gun on his leg, Stuart Horton. Bang, bang, boys. <laughs> Two weeks out from the World Cup. I'm giddier than Putin, waiting for news that a journalist has been whacked. <laughs> uh, opposite me, the man who is wearing all black today to mourn the dropping of Raja and from a Belgium squad, Louis Granich. Rest in peace, Smithy. It's a, it's a sad day for Raja fans everywhere. And also opposite me, the man more assured than Trent Sainsbury in the heart of defence, it's Jeremy Truong. Man on Smithy, over the next six weeks, we're going to come out with these podcasts thick and fast. Let game on. Boys, I'm just going to get straight to the point today. After seeing the Socceroos dismantling of the powerhouse Czech Republic side, I think it's safe to say we're favourites for the World Cup. Bang on. Yeah. Um, Set in stone. Yeah, in a serious note, the uh, Czech Republic, I think they were ranked second in the 2006 World Cup, so um, a bit of a fall from grace, but uh, a good result to um, hang our hats on. It helps when you have a guy like Pavel Nedved yeah. running, the, running the team. Yeah, yeah. Um, not a bad player in <laughs> yeah, midfield. Thomas right, Rosicki in his peak as well, Peter Cech coming Milan up. Milan Barros and Jan Kola up front. So, uh, boys, what did we like about the game? I thought it was a pretty good result, given we started uh, pretty slowly. First 20 minutes, we looked a bit off the pace, and then uh, we kind of got it together. Yeah, it took, it took a long time for, for the boys to get into a rhythm. That, that first goal really broke the shackles a little bit, and I think up until that point, I, I found in midfield that Aaron Moy and, and Mas, Luongo were kind of getting in each other's way a little bit. Yeah. Um, they were playing too close together, and after the first goal, they sort of found a bit of space, and things got a, look, a lot better. Pretty nice first goal as well. Risden with the overhit crosses is uh, Josh Risden's way. And then I think it was Tom Rogic or it may have been Robbie Cruz. It was Robbie Cruz. Robbie Cruz knocked that it down. I was going to say over hit. It was a yeah. perfect ball for Cruz. What are you talking about? <laughs> There's no way Cruz meant to like hit it on the half volley into the ground. Cruz was over. trying to play it back to defence, yeah. and it's yeah. ended up going across goal. Ah, oh, but still a, 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 yeah. a great area to put mm. it in. And credit Lecky, um, he's got in the right position and scored the opener. Yeah, um, and I think after that first goal, we really settled down a lot. I thought up until that point, we tried to play. Like quick long balls over the top of the defence in an effort to catch them out. But after that goal, we kind of settled down, enjoyed some nice bouts of possession, and that kind of continued throughout the match, which was pleasing to see. And at the back as well, after we scored that goal, I think the defence came together quite well. Um, Sainsbury and Milligan at times looked caught out, and especially on the counter-attack as well. But after that goal, especially in the second half, I thought we did really well at the back. Yeah, Sainsbury did switch off a couple of times, which... Makes me a little nervous head, heading into the game against France because he can't afford those, just those split seconds. And there was one, he sort of ran around the ball. And Do you think, um, with Sainsbury, he's obviously a cool customer and that's a part of his game. I mean, is that ever going to be eradicated, those sort of, those sort of moments? I mean, it sort of comes with a package, I think. Yeah. I, I'm super assured of him in the back. I really rate him, but yeah. I understand, like that coolness sort well, of has a price yeah. to pay I think sometimes. his value was really demonstrated within the first 10 minutes when uh, Kopic broke away and Sainsbury chased him down and made a superb sliding tackle uh, as he was bearing down on goal. 
The interesting thing about the um, Czech Republic's attack, they seem to be peppering balls in from out wide, like lots mm, of crosses, yeah. putting them into uh, my man Patrick Schick, the next, uh, not Dennis Bergkamp, but he certainly plays um, CLQA, he's really tall. But it was disappointing. I mean, we've seen Schick for Roma, who's really good at Sam. And I just felt they were sort of just going, oh, you're tall, I'm going to hit it to you anyway. And I, I don't know, it was a, from a neutral's perspective, I was like, are they just wasting this guy's talent? Australia, I felt, mopped it up pretty well and were putting press, um, pressure on the crosses and we dealt with it well. I just thought it was, do, do you reckon a Czech uh, Republic, you know, staff basically said this is an area that Australia are weak at? Because it just seemed to be a constant plan for them and I'm wondering what that's down yeah, to. it could potentially be that case. Uh, we've seen in the past, Trent Sainsbury has been Australia's best centre-back, but he hasn't had a consistent partner. Even when we were playing with three at the back under Ange, it was still, you know, he had Matt Yerman, uh, one side of him, and he normally have like Milos Degenek or Bailey Wright, or even Mark Milligan did play on the right side of that uh, back three for Ange. I think of the Confederations Cup last year. But I, I thought for the most part, Milligan and Sainsbury were pretty good. I thought Sainsbury was definitely better. I thought Milligan probably switched off a couple of times. Uh, there was that uh, chance in the second half, which fell to the Czech player. Oh, it was the, from the cross, yeah, right? From yeah, from the cross. He was I think it was fairly a, unmarked. Yeah, and I think that was Milligan who kind of switched off there. I'm not saying that Milligan is going to be a catastrophe, but I am slightly concerned by him because he's not a natural centre-back. He's more of a natural centre-midfielder. That's what I was going to say in terms of, I think, them doing their research. Any opponents will go, oh, this Mark Milligan, he's made his name as a holding midfielder. He's gone back. He's not even that physically intimidating. As a, I don't know, as a default tactic, you could go, oh, well, that could be a potential weak point. Let's just go sling crosses in and, I don't know, one or two moments, like you say, where he's lost his man, but I thought they coped with it okay. I mean, you got a clean sheet out of it. Yeah. Can we talk about the other two guys in defence? Oh, right back, yeah. You take them for granted. Josh Risden uh, on the left, as it's Bayich. I thought both of them going yeah. forward were absolutely superb and helped a great deal by Cruz on the left, Leckie on the right. They tucked often in. tucked in yep. back into the centre, opening up that space. They yep. drew their men out, opening yeah. up the space for the fullbacks. And we took full advantage of it, and they were both superb. I thought Bayich, he Bayich got fought a lot. I thought his final ball was a bit disappointing, but Risden, for me, was uh, a revelation. You know, I've expressed concerns in the past that he was really underwhelming for Western Sydney this season. But for me, I thought he was one of our better players. He looked really solid, one of our best players. You know, um, obviously France and Denmark are going to be a level above the Czech Republic, but I don't feel as worried about right back now uh, after seeing Risden's performance about the Czech Republic. As someone who's uh, a big Josh Risden fan, but was pretty disappointed with his last season, I'm absolutely stoked for him. A little bit, I was a little bit concerned myself for looking at that right, right back position, wondering who's going to take it. But yeah. I think Risden yeah. has really nailed it on then. And then Milos Degenet coming off mm-hmm. the bench, he was great for the. I mean, he got the own goal. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, we're suddenly looking okay in that area. Of the yeah. puck. He's look. Uh, Degenet has kind of concerned me a bit at right back before, but I thought he looked good uh, on. I think he made his debut at right back against England, and he and he's supplied a cross for an own goal on that occasion as well. Uh, he look, has looked a bit awkward. I'm kind of more convinced he's a centre-back being forced to play right back, but I thought he was he was okay. I'll give him a squad for Van like is named, which we'll get to a bit later. Uh, he's going to be our backup right back, and uh, I think defensively it was an assured performance, maybe not. Uh, an excellent performance, but it alleviated a few worries I had. Surprised not to see Karakic get any game time on the weekend? 
Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise. Uh, I think a lot of people, when he was named, expected he would compete with Josh Risden, and given this was the only friendly before Van Marwijk had to name his final squad, I was a bit surprised to uh, not see him take the field. But obviously Van Marwijk's had a pretty good look at him and decided Risden's a man going forward. And given his performance uh, against the Czech Republic, can't really say that uh, I'm worried, too worried by Risden. Now knowing what we know, Louis, do you, do you think Sainsbury and Milligan are the two guys? They're going to be uh, centre-backs? I think they're going to have to be. And it's just a case of we'll have to see how it goes. Like I've said before in the pub we were talking just then, I'm a big fan of Sainsbury. I do like him. I love those defenders at the back that just have that cool head. The laconic ones. <laughs> yeah, I, I like players like that all over the pitch, yeah. but unfortunately... You, can't, you, know, you couldn't have a team of them. Yes, but you, but you like one or, one or two, two there. And Australians have always lacked that in a our football culture. kind of ball playing, exactly. very laid back guy. Oh, by the way, he was captain on the weekend. First soccer as captain to ever do a shoey. To do, oh, do you mean like a Daniel Ricciardo? Yeah, he did a shoey after we qualified for World Cup. Oh, well, there you go. Someone He's on obviously... Twitter tweeted Trent Sainsbury and said, uh, I'll get a tattoo of you doing a shoey if I get 100 retweets. Oh, my God. And Sainsbury's retweeted it. And, and every couple thousands, of months, yeah. Sainsbury comes back to this guy on Twitter. And he's like, where's where's the tattoo, mate? Yeah, I'm a big big fan of him. And uh, Milligan, I do like him, obviously, more as a holder. But sometimes as a coach, you've just got to get your best 11 players out on the pitch. And he is a good professional and a good player. He's just going to have to do a job there for us. In terms of a midfield trio, Van Marwijk started uh, Masalongo, Tommy Rogic and Aaron Moy. Stu, what did you think of that midfield three? Well, yeah, like, like I said earlier, um, a little bit, little bit of a worry with uh, the space between Luongo and, and Moy. Rogic, I, I mean, the guy's supremely talented, but I find him frustrating to watch mm. for Australia because he, he does nothing. He can do nothing for 70 minutes and then suddenly, bang, he, he scored an incredible goal. I think the way Luongo and Moy played together, once they found that space, um, they, they worked really well together. I now wonder, does Yedinak come in and yeah, Rogic get sacrificed? Yeah. Or do we keep Rogic on because he can create that little moment of brilliance? I think I'd personally prefer to see Rogic and Moy start with one of Luongo and Yedinak. Yedinak has been so consistently good. He's always been a big game player for us. Uh, I do worry now he's getting a bit older is he going to be as effective in this world cup especially against the likes of france who could very well open us up on the counter-attack and give him yadnak's lack of pace this could potentially be a serious worry i actually didn't notice luongo as much i thought moy was pretty good i thought luongo was okay but i kind of like during the game i was thinking i haven't seen luongo touch the ball and like make too many telling contributions he was a bit he was busy without being like like dominant i guess Bit of a Jordan Henderson game, really. Don't mention him on this pod. <laughs> um, what I'd like to say is that, say if you had a spectrum from 8 to 10, as in like a centre midfielder to a centre attacking midfielder, I feel with those three, you've got an out-and-out number 8 in Aaron Moy, a bit in between with Luongo, and then an out-and-out 10 mm. with Rogic. There's not enough balance there, now, is there? Now, in a midfield, like the, the classic system now, with three midfielders, a 6 and 8 and a 10, and it seems to be... You know, on paper, you'd put Yedinak holding Moy and then Rogic in front of him. But, like, that's a good point you make about with the France mini. With the running, if Yedinak doesn't have the pace, maybe Mass can sit deeper and sort of use his athleticism and just do a job defensively. Not his, um, you know, his natural strongest game, but 
might be a good idea, I guess, yeah. for the, the athleticism of France because they possess like some absolute animals. Well, I reckon you could even potentially make a case for Moy to be the deepest ones because he, yep. he's the thing is he's not really as uh, as quick as like Yednak. He doesn't really have the pace, but I feel like he does his best work uh, kind of deeper yep. in the pitch. I don't think he's a he's an attacking midfielder like yep. Luongo. He's not going to charge forward and. You know, he's for pacey Perlay, he dictates. And I wonder if you could he's maybe play him, if you're not going to play Ednak, would he be the one who sits deepest? Uh, having said that, I do kind of worry about, on the, on the counter, his pace is a yeah. bit of a worry like Yednak. Uh But, yeah, I think... To be fair, yeah. are we really going to play France with them on the counter? They're going to counter-attack mm. against us a few times yeah. during the game, but the general gist of the game yeah, will be true. them possessing the ball. True. Moy's distribution will be his biggest asset, mm. so... I reckon laying him deep or playing him alongside Yenak, I think that's the way to go against guys like France. It's interesting though. Um, you know, we won a game four nil. We've 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 all as fans seen something we like, something we don't like. It was interesting to hear Bert Van Marwijk after the match say that he's never content. Yeah, that was Mate, a big you've theme. Just a, you've just won a game four nil against a decent. I a mean, decent they, weren't, they weren't they weren't great, but they're still a decent European yeah. side. They were a brain fade. Mm against mm. Northern Ireland away mm. from playing in the qualifiers. Mm. Um, and, to, yeah, if you put four goals past them, never content. It's a very Dutch attitude, isn't it? Yes, a, yes. The... You know, yes, good, but not quite. <laughs> <laughs> that was awful, I'm sorry. Uh, the lid is well and truly on, isn't it? Aussie, Aussie, Aussie! Since the game, Bert van Marwijk has announced his final squad. The biggest news is Jamie McLaren is back. Just like Jesus, he was dead on Friday, and come Sunday, he's risen. I think what we've talked about, he needed to be included in the squad to begin with, and um, it was good to see him out there getting some minutes. You know, hopefully he can be an impact player. I think the biggest story out of all of this is Yurich's injury. One, you're bringing back McLaren. Two... Timmy Cahill goes to the World Cup, and three, you're also dropping Rukovitsia. So, someone who would have played up front as well. Juric's, I guess, loss is a few other people's gain. Yeah. I think they were talking about Juric did train mm. on yep. Friday. It wasn't so risked during the game. Yeah, and I think it's positive signs that he, he, he'll probably be okay. I've scoured the internet this morning trying to find a quote or something from Van Marwijk saying why he went back on the decision with Jamie McLaren. Was it a backlash? Was it realising he'd made a mistake? Or is it simply because there's that question mark, there was that question mark over Urich? Surely it's going to be a, a case of all three, right? The, or maybe you, McLaren has nude pictures of Van Marwijk. I, I, I don't think it's a case of all four. Um, <laughs> I think all three, Stu's first points, I think are all pretty valid. The fact that the backlash and, of course, maybe I've made a mistake, the Urich injury, I think that helps his decision and gives him a bit of motivation to change it. And he can almost go, well, oh, well, it's because Urich had that injury. And save face, which... Whether it's the right or wrong thing to do, it's it's still you want your manager, you know, maintaining a good stance, a good, you know, he backs himself with his decisions, and he can use that, I guess, as an excuse, and that's fine as long as um, McLaren's in the squad. I'm I'm pretty happy with that. Jez, I think we all agree though, it is the right decision. Well, yeah, for the record, I thought all three should have gone in Urich, Cahill, and McLaren. I actually thought McLaren played quite well when he came on. He didn't score. Uh, Andrew Naboo, energy. by the way, Andrew Naboo bank a World Cup. How what a not story. About this yes, I was going to what say. a story. He was playing Malaysian... Second division. Second division Malaysian. And he, he got fired halfway through the season by the president because he didn't like him. 
and he still finished top scorer, and now he's at a World Cup. What a that's the stuff sort of stuff you sell to Disney. Well, it's it's, it's the Aussie story, you know, the fighting spirit, all that sort of stuff. Beautiful, Aussie but battler. I think his, his character and the way he plays. I mean, he's a winger and he's got like flair and stuff, but he plays with the grit of the everyman. He's the exact sort of player that a fan wants to see because yeah. you know he's not taking, I guess, his place in football for granted. All those no, players. Not at all. You know, coming through and they've always got game time because they've got such good ability. These players that, I guess, have a rockier path tend to, you know, that their work ethic tends to be a bit higher and they, they realise the magnitude of, I guess, playing on an international stage. And he does have a bit of class about him as well. We obviously saw the goal he scored this year in the A-League. If you can pull a, a Traveller, as they say, the outside of the foot shot, I'm a huge fan of Charisma, so he's... Um, he's He's big in my books, and it was just really, really good to see him score against the Republic. How good was the finish? He, he just put the defender one way, then the other, and low, and it was just yeah, it was great to see. Yeah, he really hit it well. And like you, I, I, it's such a feel-good story. I'm really thrilled for the guy, and I, I hope he, he he does well. Is he, I keep asking these questions, but is he the number one guy on the ahead right of the World Cup? Uh, uh, what, for the whole team, or do you is mean he, just on the right wing? No, up, up top. I personally, I think... I don't think he's a striker. I think he's being play. He's a bit of a uh, square peg in a round hole. I don't think he's a natural striker. And I think it showed McLaren was making smarter runs. He didn't yeah. score. Having and personally, I'd like to see McLaren start over him, or even if Urich is fit. Having said that, the way he took his goal, we don't see many Australian players take the, take a take a goal like that. You know, it was just composed and just put it where the keeper couldn't get it. There was no nerves. There was no. Yeah, it was he, pa- power on conviction yeah. as well with you know yeah. the, the class that he does have. It's yeah. brilliant. Um, yeah, uh, the other players, of course, missing out are Josh Berlante, uh, Frank Karasic, uh, Nikita Rukovica, and James Troisi. Troisi, who scored the winner in the Asian Cup final. Louis, I know you're a bit of fan of Troisi. Yeah, I what do did li- you think? I do like him. Obviously, I like you know when Australia produces these whole players, these number tens. We're getting a, a surplus, and the way the sorry to go on a bit of a rant, but the way the curriculum stands, we're going to produce a few more. I do like him. I I do feel though I, that you can't put him ahead of Rogic. Sometimes they would play together, but I do think in terms of balancing a team, the front three and the players in behind, I think they sort of step on each other's toes. And if Rogic is in there, Troisi has to make way. So I just don't think there's room for him. I also think uh, in the A-League this season, Costa Petrados, where he outperformed James Troisi, Troisi was a level below uh, the form he displayed the previous season. And I think Petrados is good value for his spot in the team. Obviously, Frank Karasic, uh, as we've touched on, he won't be appearing at the World Cup. I did hear, guys, that Peter Dutton may have had something to do with that. <laughs> uh, foreigners taking Australian yeah. jobs. Apparently he doesn't speak much English. Yeah, I read on Fox Sports this morning that the language barrier was really hard for him really to overcome because he's never stepped foot in Australia. He's yeah. been brought up in Croatia to an Australian dad, I believe. Mm-hmm. And the language barrier was pretty tough. I hope we keep him on the Roo radar. I hope maybe he comes in of the Asian Cup. Uh, we'll see. But I hope he's not. If he's good enough, I hope he's not in completely lost to the Australian setup. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie! Oi, oi, oi! Speaking of people who may or may not be at the World Cup, one of the real stars is in danger of missing out. I'm talking, of course, about Egypt's talisman Mo Salah, who may miss the tournament with a dislocated shoulder after an incident in the Champions League final involving WWE enthusiast Sergio Ramos. 
He's Egypt's main man going forward. He's their talisman. Boys, what do we think Egypt's hopes are if he's not able to uh, line up for them? Um, they have an OK squad. There's a few players uh, that are playing in Europe. You know, you've got Hagazi at the back from West Brom. El, El Mohamed is obviously a, a good pro. Uh, Sobi plays for Stoke. Uh, I've, I've seen a few times him coming off the bench when he started games for Stoke. Obviously got the talent there. Um, they have an OK side, but you, you know, their hopes are really relying on Salah and... If he doesn't get back, I can't really see them making a dent. He's their main attacking option. If he's injured or even below full fitness, they could really struggle to score for mine. Well, that's the thing. is The, the, the interesting thing about Salah is a lot of top players, they, of course, they have the athleticism and the technique, but he relies so much on his athleticism. Like He's a 100-mile-an-hour and blistering pace, and he's the sort of player who probably can't play too well half-fit, if you know what I mean. But he would be the talisman in any nation, let alone Egypt. You know, he's playing backward this year. Yeah, I'm with you, Louis. The, the Egyptians have got an okay squad without him. You put him in that squad, and it is a Elevates. different setup. For me, they can cause a few surprises into the deep into the tournament yeah. with him. And I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, guys. But a shoulder injury for a footballer, um, I, I don't know how much that's going to hinder you, but you're playing in the Champions League final, the biggest game of your life. You've got a shoulder injury. Do you get a shot, get it strapped up, and you get back out there, or is that just me? I'm not sure. Um, that's the first thing that I thought was like you could the amount of adrenaline and and pressure and all that sort of stuff. Surely you could just give it a go and and maybe see how it goes. In saying that, is it a case of the physio recognizing what he's done to his shoulder? He knows it's it's more than it just coming out. He's done some damage and going. Look, if you don't get off the pitch now, you won't even play in the World Cup, and you're just hindering your team, sort of thing. I think obviously the precaution of players now is much higher. Um, flashback to Germany. Franz Beckenbauer has played a game with a broken arm. Keepers back in the day playing, you know, with shoulders and collarbones and stuff like that. Nowadays, more precaution. It does beg the question, there must have been some serious damage if if he's getting pulled off because if you were to ever take any liberties and sort of maybe push the envelope instead, you do it for Seller. So I think there there obviously was some damage done there. Uh, Boys, did we think the Sergio Ramos challenge with air quotes was dirty? It's it's Ramos' style though, isn't it? I don't... He is likes it, a suplex, so it's been no Well, problem. it's a tough one. If he doesn't fall on his shoulder, no one bats an eye. It's yeah. as simple as that. It's a foul. They set up, he goes. Like I'm a Barca fan, but I do love I do love Ramos. I think he's absolutely brilliant because he he um he does sometimes play on the edge. In saying that, it's interesting watching his stock turn from a, a player who, despite being pretty controversial, is still pretty popular. Now that he's done that to Seller, he he's, he's really turned on him and he's he's flipped a strife socially, I guess you could say. Wasn't dirty though. I thought it was tough, physical, but it wasn't dirty by any sense. It it's not worth one point five billion dollars. There was a little nudge in the va- in the back from Van Dyke as well on Ramos, which you know could have knocked him off his ba- off balance. And I don't think it was there was much in it to be I honest. Just, I think there was a lot of people saying, "Oh, Salah grabbed Ramos first, but I feel like Ramos's momentum didn't carry him down. He, I think he made the decision to try and fall on Salah. I thought he. Tried to, he did it to try and put him off. Um, yeah, like like you want to sort of leave a bit in as opposed yeah. to like properly. He didn't want to injure him, shoulder. but yeah, he wanted I, to unsettle him. That. Yeah. So what you're saying is he's been watching Zaza Pachulia yes. highlights, and he's gone on he's gone the Zaza on Salah or Draymond. Well, that is true. If Egypt do get through uh, their group, there is a prospective clash with Spain uh, in the second round. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to see Salah versus Ramos again? What I'd love is them to like. 
you know, do the WWE style, have the entrance with specific music and everyone like booing like Ramos as the pantomime villain. I don't know why people, you go and watch all these movies, all this fiction, read these books, when you've got some absolute theatre and, and interesting storylines right in front of you happening in real life. It's just beautiful. I've just got the picture in my mind now of Egypt getting through the group stage without Salah. And he's the two teams coming together. And then Mo Salah's theme music starts up, and you know, the WWE commentator going, "Bwaka, is this?" <laughs> and yeah. Salah picks up Ramos. Don't do this! Don't do this! Look at this, Jr. <laughs> you know, all that sort of stuff from the top, Ralph. Yeah, it would be. Um, it's it an w- okay. Out of it, it would be. Um, it's an Egyptian out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, it would be um, interesting to see that happen, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I really hope we, we cross, cross that, bridge. that bridge at yeah. some point. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie! It wouldn't really feel like a World Cup without a section of English press making a concerted effort to bring down one of their own players right before a major tournament. I'm of course talking about England star Raheem Sterling, who is sporting some fresh new ink. He's unveiled a tattoo of a rifle on his leg, and naturally, the dumpster fire masquerading as a newspaper, aka The Sun, have had a field day. As you can probably imagine, there are a lot of knee-jerk claims about his new tattoo, Gentlemen, I'm curious to know, do you think anyone other than idiots are upset about this new ink? No, and look, as the the resident uh, tattoo enthusiast in the studio today, um, who cares what he gets tattooed on his own body? It's on his right calf, for goodness sake. His socks are going to be covering it. you t- you got these people coming out and saying, it's going to be seen by billions of people through his sock? I think um, Gareth Southgate carried himself well, Um Obviously, you know, a situation like you say, Stu, you want to turn around and be like, who cares? But sometimes you've just got to calm the idiot brigade down. He could get a tattoo of his mum naked on his leg. Who gives yeah. a fuck? I, I agree with you, but sometimes you've got to, you've, you've got to work with the, the clowns. And he said, um, Raheem's very strong. I had a good, deep conversation with him to see how he was. We have his full support. What I liked, what he said is, for me, a tattoo is like any work of art. The meaning is with the person. And I thought, spot on. Gareth, um, Bang on. Yeah, it, it's exactly right. It's a personal thing. And what I will also say, in case you don't know, is it is personal to him because his dad was tragically gunned down when he was two years old. That almost makes the um, you know the peanut gallery coming after him look even worse and even less sensitive. There was a, there was a suggestion by um, the Twitter account of Good Morning Britain. They suggested uh, some people wanted him to step down from a World Cup squad. When Piers Morgan's sort of talking about on Twitter that he doesn't agree with it, I'm just like, you know... It's that, probably okay. That's a good barometer. Of... I normally take the opposite stand to whatever yeah, Piers Morgan yeah, exactly. says. Piers Morgan, the Arsenal fan, whose badge is literally a gun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you, the irony is, is, is too hot to handle. Look, the, the, the explanation that Sterling gave about a tribute to his dad, and the bit that I really liked was, I do my shooting... With, with my, my right, right foot. foot. I've, got, I've actually got this statement here. This is Raheem Sterling's comments about its meaning, if you haven't heard. He, I believe he posted it on his Instagram. He says, When I was two, my father died from being gunned down to death. I made a promise to myself I would never touch a gun in my lifetime. I shoot with my right foot so it has deeper meaning. N, not and, capital N, still unfinished. To be completely honest, I'm more offended by his grammar than the actual tattoo. Jeez, <laughs> oh, Smithy. Spoken like a journalist. Yeah. Yes, for sure. But that, 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 both him and Southgate sort of put to bed this um, non-story. Mm. Uh, I think while Sterling has lost some fans in England, I'm hearing he's gained a number of new fans in the form of NRA members. Yeah, I suppose he might be 
running for office soon and could uh, help him out with the votes. I mean, they come after him. I say they, being the red tops in England, come after Sterling over the littlest things. Yeah. They've come after him because he flew in a private jet and then they went after him because he took a budget airline. They went after him because he had breakfast. Mate, yeah. they, they... Breakfast's the most important meal of the day. One one time they had a go at him because he, he took an England camp. I think it was just friendlies, but he took an England camp off because he was under a bit of pressure. He was pretty tired. I reckon sufferings from probably some, you know, some mental stress. Mm. Completely understandable. That guy is so young and has been under the spotlight for, for so much of his um, young life. The England fans or, or the, you know, the journalists from places like the sun saying like he shouldn't be tired he's on this much money a week and it's just like mate money doesn't make you less tired it's an incentive but if he's in a bit of stress like you can't just be like oh but you're on money so you're fine like i don't know why i feel like a lot of players and you know the english press and a lot of press are quick to go after players but they do seem to have a vendetta with sterling and i don't i don't agree with it it's just it's not nice to see he gave he gave any critics that he has Perfect ammunition. You like that? Yeah, no pun intended. <laughs> there we go. By turning up for training 12 hours late. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, leave all the stupid I, stuff to yeah. the side. There's, there's, there's your story. There's actually something you can legitimately yeah. go after him I did. I did like what Southgate said. He did comment on that and said, I thought about dropping him but decided... Uh, given all the hoo-ha around his tattoo, it would just yeah, give them more. Yeah, almost is a bit of a... Give them a bit more. And he just said, look, I spoke to him about it, I started him. And he actually played well against Nigeria, from yeah. what I hear. I didn't watch the game, but uh, they were kind of conflicting uh, reports. I, uh, I think going into the tor- tournament, he is uh, one of their, behind Harry Kane. He's their key guy. i tell you what the difference two years could make. When we were watching the Euros last tournament, opening game, he has a few misses and... Again, press was so quick to get on his back, put Daniel Sturridge back in. Sterling can't, will wilt with the pressure. Two years under Guardiola, and I know it's been made that you know he does look like a new player, but mentally it'll be interesting to see how he copes with that pressure. And I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about him. And I kind of, just for the sake of the press, I do want him to turn around and score a few mm-hmm. goals and silence even more critics. I'm with you there, Louis. I think this could be the tournament where he takes another step up and becomes that. Not a top-tier player, but the level below your Messi's, Ronaldo, Neymar, those guys. I think yeah. he, can really, he really can go to that level. He's 23, and this is his third major tournament. I mean, he's doing so well as is, and yeah. And oh. as you said, Jez, he's had two years under Guardiola. It, it, this, is, this is the time to it's make that count. It's the time to shine. It's the time to make it count. Yeah. My favourite quote about this whole ordeal was from someone in the original Sun story. Uh, she said, We demand he has the tattoo lasered off or covered up with a different tattoo. <laughs> Ridiculous. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie! Some news out of FIFA this week. The VAR will have the power to hand out retrospective red cards during the World Cup. I'm sure anyone who has watched the VAR in all its glory, or maybe that should be in glory, in the A-League last season will be able to tell you why this is a bad idea. Jeremy, are you pro-VAR? I'm all for it. I'm sure England fans are all for it. And uh, as long as they don't take a book out of the A-League's leaf, I think it should be a go for it. In a sense, yes, because I think uh, the justice behind some of the decisions, if things go wrong, you can go, look, we've, we've made the right decision, and I understand that. It's head and heart, though. Heart goes, keep the game flowing. The, I, I watched a bit of Serie A this season, and it is pretty painful watching them, you know, two, two minutes of Paolo Dybala waiting to take a pen. It, it, I don't agree with it, but... 
I do think it's sort of the right thing. If you know what I mean, I, I wouldn't prefer it, but I think it's I think it's the option that needs to happen. We do need to make it as quick and as swift and as accessible as possible for the layman and not de- delay on decisions. I think that's the main thing. Quick decision, maybe no more than a minute, and then keep going with the game. Well, it's yeah. meant for it, the VR is meant to rule out obvious errors. So if there's an obvious error, surely you look at it and it's. It's either an obvious in. error or it's not. The fact that we're taking like a minute or two to get it right suggests it's not an obvious error and therefore it should be left as is. It's got teething problems and I think we've just got to, more and more practice will make the, the process go in a swift fashion. As long as we don't get a 2006 final situation where the referee's running off the field to have a word to his fourth official who's had a look at the screen, as long as we're not getting those kinds of decisions... Um, I'm all right with it. Uh, otherwise, I'm a little bit ambivalent. I, I don't really care either way, to be honest. I kind of like a little bit of controversy in football. That's what gives it the theatre. Yeah. I like getting away with those decisions as a fan. I. It just heightens the drama, doesn't it? I, yeah, I, I like the, the the anger it brings out in people yeah. when they, they've been... Um, Robbed a penalty or... Stu is just outing himself as an agent of chaos here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my my whole issue with the VAR is what we saw in the A League this year, where it was yeah, the VAR is meant to be uh, for like obvious errors, but it wasn't being used for obvious errors. It was being used to yeah, re-referee like content like fifty fifty calls. Yeah. It it wasn't used well in the A League, and I'm really worried that they're gonna it's gonna there's gonna be a few major contra- controversies involving the VAR. That goes back to what I, I was just saying about it. it takes away a bit of the feeling. You, you don't get the, the guttural, primal roar of scoring a goal or getting to really give it to a guy who's just been given a red card. If you're sitting around, you're not really sure what's going on. Suddenly your team's been awarded a goal. You're not going to have that swell of, yes, we've scored, that you, you get. I do agree. It takes away from the flow and the beauty of it. In such high stakes like a major tournament, sometimes, though, that that's just... I, I almost think that that's got to be almost the only place where it's used. Maybe some Champions League, even then. Just the purist goes, let's keep the game flowing, but sometimes um, justice you know, needs to be served, things like that. An interesting thing, I think, in terms of VAR in Italy or Germany, the general consensus from players and coaches alike was that we don't necessarily need it. The the fact that they didn't want to wait for these decisions to happen. So the, the players certainly don't like it. The crowd don't like it. Whether it's going to be the, the best option, we're going to have to wait and see, as I always say. The, as long as it's being used for the really obvious... That's the if a bloke thing, is stamped on another bloke, go to it then. Yeah. Yeah. If we're I'm debating okay whether a pinky a is shoulder offside, you know, yeah. just let it go. Yeah. I mean, if we had VAR at the 2006 World Cup, Harry Kuehl's goal against Croatia probably would have been... It would have been disallowed because he was offside. Good point, good point. Um, and that was... Like, that's one of the most iconic moments of uh, Australia. You're of Harry Kuehl's goal? Yeah, I, I feel you. I, I, I mean, the, the passion that it's bringing out of us just sitting here mm. in a studio thousands of miles away from the tournament, just... I mean, is it just another piece of FIFA's big show? Yeah, are FIFA I'll... doing it for the right reasons? Are they? Uh, is it there for the benefit of the game, or is it there for cash money? I, I tell you what, my tinfoil hat is firmly on. You know, once you mentioned that, my I was blind and now I see. I never thought of it like that. Um, in terms of you know the high profile and making it even more um, excitable and controversial. 
It's a good point, Stu. Mate, you're talking about the tin hat. You, you, you got that on when you mentioned Russia and FIFA on their own. Put them together. Yeah, and VAR, through mate, the looking glass. Aluminium, yeah. And on that uh, paranoid note, uh, a big thank you to everyone listening. We'll be back with more tinfoil next week <laughs> to wrap up the Socceroos World Cup preparations. In the meantime, make sure you hit subscribe on iTunes. Give us a rating. Let us know what you like or didn't like. Uh, that's all from us. We'll see you next week. Uh, goodbye from everyone in the studio. Catch you, lads. Bye. Bye.